Hey everyone, and welcome to the Annex Tuesday Night Podcast. The Annex is a community seeking to discover and live life in Jesus. And we hope that this message will help you do just that. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe. So these messages come right to your phone each week. And you can always check us out at theannexboulder.com or on our Instagram account at theannex.boulder. Enjoy today's message. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Annex. Really glad that you guys decided to come out tonight. It means a lot to me and a lot of other people. Uh, my name's Dave. Uh, I'm the director of the Annex. And uh, um, whomever was the person who was unfortunately filmed with great dance skills, although inappropriate for Christian leadership, that is certainly not me. It's featured in that video. Um, we are doing a series that we call, uh, we were calling Light and Love. For the next stuff, uh, well, really just tonight and next week, looking at a book that was written by a guy named John, who followed Jesus really closely for years, and then lived the rest of his life doing his absolute best to follow the life and teachings of someone whom um, he considered to be a dear friend and also the Son of God. And he wrote this letter to a group of Christians who um, he believed um, needed to be reminded about what this life in Jesus was all about. Um, as they had some significant questions about following Jesus. Many of the same questions, I think, that you and I hold. And in this letter, John talks about, uses two big um, images, two big themes that that saturate the whole book, and really um, in two parts. And the first is light. In the last two weeks, we've talked about light. Um, John says, as really an opener, he says, um, this is the message which we have heard. That God is light, and in him is no darkness. And that's how he really starts out explaining who God is, light. That God himself is light, the only one and the only thing that can reveal what is true about himself, who's true about us, and true about other people. And that he reveals to us a life, um, life as it is meant to be, and life as we ought to live, if we are um, hoping to live a life that is Um, flourishing, that is thriving, that is um, what God designed for it to be, Um, in short, being really human. And last week, Kelsey um, uh, touched on uh, this really important um, idea that John wants his um, people to not just know, but to live. That if we consider ourselves in the light, that if we claim that God is light, and we are people who want to follow and live in the light, that we must live as Jesus lived. Not as an accessory, like something that's like sort of this like obligation that's put on us, not because it's like what good Christians do or the magical book the Bible says so, but simply because if we, are, are, if we want to have life in the light, then we need to live that life in the light because that's actually what it is. You can't say that you're in the light um, if you're doing things that is behavior of the darkness, is really what John is saying. And so live the light. That's why Jesus came. That's the whole point for you to not only enjoy it, but to thrive in the light of God, this way that he teaches us to live. But what in the world does John mean for us to live in the light? In some ways, that's a broad answer. Jesus did so many um, things. He said so many things. In, In fact, he offered lots of teachings, and some of the teachings seem like really straightforward and clear. And other teachings um, will be teachings that I will be chewing on for the rest of my life, um, seeking wisdom from God's Spirit and how to apply them. But there is one teaching, one teaching that John 
wants his follow the, the people that, that he is walking um, in Christ with um, that are um, seeking to learn um, how to follow Jesus from him. There is one teaching that he elevates above all others, and interestingly enough, it is the one teaching that Jesus elevated above all others when he um, taught his original followers as well. And that is a teaching we'll get into tonight. Let's pray as we hop into this. Jesus, um, as we come um, tonight, we're here, um, we're in this place. We ask, Lord, that you would, um, by whatever um, uh, means that you would, uh, you would meet us tonight. Whether it's in this moment, um, as uh, we hear from um, this letter that your um, beloved friend um, and follower, John, wrote, whether it's in the just companionship after the annex is over or in worship, whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you'd meet us here and that our life would be a little bit different, maybe a lot of bit different because of the encounter that we have with you. Whether we're skeptical of your existence or we're sold out and really looking to, to dive in, um, deeper into following you, we ask that um, that would be true tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So John says this. He says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. Loving one another, I'm sure we could come up with a lot of different things that we could use to describe loving one another. But John has some particular ideas in mind based on what he saw in the life of Jesus and what is true in the light about God and what is true in the light about us and what is true in the light about one another. And so John has two big um, ideas, two big action points, things that we, he wants his, um, uh, to understand about love. The first is this, love is an action we do for others. When John says, love one another, John means that love is an action that we do for one another. I think that when many of us consider love, and we consider, do, ask the question, do I love that person or do I not? Most of the time, I think that we consider love to be a state of mind, sort of the way we think about something, an opinion or a vibe. Like, I love my neighbor because I don't know their name and they seem pretty chill and they haven't, you know, kept me up too late at night. So, yeah, I like, I love my neighbor. Love is sort of this passive thing. It's like a stance that we have about other things or other people. But John has a very different idea of love in mind. John says, unless it is acted upon, it it isn't love. In fact, we know true love by what we actually do. In uh, chapter 3 of this letter, verse 17, John writes, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister. And when John is talking about brothers and sisters, he's not just talking about family members. He's talking about other people who are following Jesus in a community together. Brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, he says, let us not love with words or speech Love is an idea. Love is a proposal. Love is something that we can kind of banter around or like, um, you know, an idea that we hold up together and say, isn't that nice? That's not love. But let us love with actions and truth. Let that love be in the light and let, let love be true action. 
In John's time, material needs are a real reality. I think it's difficult, it, I believe, it, it's difficult for me, and most likely it might, you might show this difficulty, to imagine what it was like to live in the first century. Most people did not have much material wealth. Most people were living basically day to day in terms of what they had in their pocket and what was on their table in terms of what they could eat. And so many people would have encountered moments where they would have needed somebody else to be generous in order for them to eat that day. And John simply says, if you claim to love a brother or sister and you have a little extra bread and they don't have any and you don't give some of your bread to them, how can you claim to actually love them? The idea of loving them doesn't put food in their belly. It's the action of loving them that puts food in their belly. Today, most of us in this room are, are probably not wanting for, for essential material possessions. Now, you guys might, there might be things that would be helpful to borrow or, um, you know, maybe you need some flour for a cookie recipe or you're just looking to not eat trap ramen for like the fifth night in a row, right? So we can absolutely share our material possessions. But I think that if John was speaking to us tonight, he would have wanted us to expand um, his teaching um, beyond that. If any of us has resource, time, availability, the bandwidth to meet another person's needs, a brother or sister in Christ who is in need, who needs a listening ear, someone to pick them up from the airport, someone to help them with their homework, and we have the capability to do it, but we choose not to, he would say, how can the love of God be in you? Let us not love with word or speech, like someone like me just talking and talking and talking about it, but let us love in action and in truth. John says, let us love each other, and love is an action that we do for others. The second thing that he wants us to know about love is that love is something we initiate for others because we have first been loved. In the fourth chapter of his letter, he writes, and by the way, when you read these texts and you see the numbers and such, and it's all kind of mapped out, people did that much later, all right? So John wouldn't actually know where 1 John 4, 19 was in his letter. He'd just say it's probably like the seventh paragraph, like after that other idea. But for quick reference, that's what we do. All right, and he wrote something like this. He said, we love, we love each other. We love in action because he, Jesus, God, the God that, that, that John describes as love first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. You can't both be in the light and live in the light and act in, as if you're living in the darkness. It's irreconcilable. And he points that out again. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. Deep and simple, John. That's what he does. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We love because he first loved us. I think most of us, even right now, and I can even say this in, in um, certain relationships in my life, 
have been trapped or currently are trapped in believing that we are unloved. And so we have written off those certain relationships as, as relationships that we are not required to actually um, love in. Well, my roommates haven't really been around, or I haven't really seen them, and they seem kind of distant, and so, um, you know, I know they've been doing stuff together, like on Thursday nights when I have to work, and, you know, it's just like, I I feel this this gap growing, and I don't think they really like me, and so um, I've been, you know, I don't really need to be kind to them, but I'm going to stew about them um, in, you know, in, in my heart, and maybe I'll talk crap about them behind their back, and you know, we feel, we get trapped in, in, in unlove. I think so many of us, in fact, I, I would claim that, um, that, that Satan's greatest tool to get us to not love one another is to convince us that we are all victims of not being loved. To convince us that we are all victims of not being loved. Because once we're convic- convinced that we are all victims of not being loved, then we stop believing that we ought to love other people. And we start coming up with incredible excuses, and some of them that feel very rational about why we do not need to love other people. And John would say this, my friend, if you believe that you are unloved, then you do not know the light. You do not know that God is love. You do not know the incredible, generous, merciful, forgiving, and boundless love that God has for you. Before you put a foot on the ground out of bed in the morning, our God has already lavished you with love in his heart and love in action through the person of Jesus Christ. You could not possibly be more loved than you are in Jesus John himself called himself the beloved disciple. He was so convinced, he was so convinced that Jesus loved him more than any other because of how um, affectionate and compassionate and consistent was Jesus' love for him. But John also knew that that is the same love that he has for each one of us. And so when we believe that we are victims of unlove, we are automatically starting out in the darkness. John would say, that is no place to be. What is true is that we are loved. And that we are to love like Jesus, who loved us first. Jesus loved us first. Nobody came to God and said, God, I have this really great idea. I know that you've been kind of like... Um, just kind of doing your own thing, living your own life, um, and we're here and such, but would you, um, what do you think about being in a really loving relationship together? How does that sound to you? That That is not the way, fortunately, that is not the way that it happened. We were created in love, you and I. And before we even had the option of loving back, God has incredible and had incredible love for us. I think the most important truth for us to live in as we seek to live in the light is this truth that God is love and we are the objects of that love. And so John says this, we love 
because he first loved us, not because somebody else loves us. He loved us first. Let's love other people. If we wait for others to love us well, we'll probably be waiting for a really long time. If we wait for others to love us well, we'll probably be waiting for a really long time, slowly diminishing as victims of unlove. So, love is not an ideal or something we wait for. Love is not an ideal or something we wait for. Love is an action that we initiate. When John says, love one another, he means do it, it's an action, and initiate it yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Do it yourself. There's so many ways um, that we can initiate this love, but there is one way that is especially heavy on my heart, and I'm going to share it tonight, and I just need to confess to you that I'm a little bit embarrassed about talking about this topic with you all because it will bring up what seems to me a generational gap, although not an experience gap, in terms of what I see um, our community really struggling with and the rest of the CU Boulder community, um, as, as well as uh, college students all over our country. So this is me going to sound like an old guy. I was born in 1982, okay? Who was president in 82, Rob? Do you remember? Was it Reagan? I think it was Reagan, right? Yeah, Yeah, whoever. He's dead already, okay? So anyway, so it was a while ago. Guys, I remember life before the internet. I remember the sound of a modem. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 20 years old. My mom realized if I didn't have a cell phone, she was never going to talk to me. Anyway, I'm old. Okay, so here, here we go. In the past 10 years, in light of all this, in the past 10 years, the way that we fundamentally interact as a human has radically changed because of this, which I'm guessing everybody has. Is there anyone who did not bring a smartphone to Annex tonight? Anyone who did not bring one of these to Annex? Okay, so we all brought one. Okay, so we all, we're all in this boat together. This has absolutely radically changed the way that we interact with each other. See, it used to be that like certain interactions, you had to wait to get somewhere or you had to be in, in, in front of somebody's face in order to interact with them. But now on um, this great text group, Keys, Wallet, Phone, featuring seven other guys from Seattle, I've got 13 text messages just waiting for me. And I can tell you right now that none of it is important. Yeah, I'm not even going to read it either because it's, wow, it's bad. So anyway, this is, this is our reality, right? Smartphones help us stay connected to each other without having to be in the same place. These seven other guys are all guys that I went to college with and most of them I lived with. And now we just text with in keys, phone, wallet, whatever. I don't even know who came up with that title. And there are a lot of great things about our phones, But there are also a lot of not-so-great things. In 2012, there was a tipping point in our world, in our reality, and especially for you all. 2012 was the year where a majority of teenagers owned smartphones. So now if you were just a normal teenage kid in America, you had the power to connect with anyone you wanted to, whenever you wanted to, and you did not need to be in the same place. So, as a result... 
teenagers today spend a lot more time looking at screens, okay? It's probably not hard for you to believe. Teens now today spend less time with people. Teens today spend less time interacting with people face-to-face. And statistically, actually, teens today spend less time doing just about everything else. Less time going to school, less time doing homework, less time going to work, less time doing sports, less time mostly interacting with people, and more time in front of a screen. I know a couple weeks ago I mentioned a statistic from a study out of Baylor University that claimed average female student in college spends 10 hours on her phone, average male 8 hours. That seems a little bit high to me, but even if they're halfway right, that's still 5 and 4 hours. That's a lot of time. At the same time as teens and into college students are spending more time looking at phones and screens, less time with people, mental health has declined. There is data that shows that people are less happy and more lonely and depression is more prevalent than it was in 2012. If you look at the graphs, it's actually startling. They all uh, change really at 2012. One in five college students today is struggling with depression. Research shows that the more time we spend on a screen, the less happy we are. And there's no asterisk next to that. It's just the more time we look at a screen, the less happy we are. Most indicators, and people are a little bit tenuous, the, 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 the smart people are a little bit tenuous about making big claims about social media, but most indicators point towards social media use leading to loneliness and unhappiness. When we use um, social media like Instagram or Snapchat or Marco Polo, um, some of my friends wanted to do Marco Polo and it just turned into like weird videos of their two-year-old kids like babbling into an awkward video I'd, no one really needed to watch. But anyway, whatever application it is you use, um, what's really cool right now besides those that I mentioned? Facebook, Facebook yeah. Dude. Chad, that was an awesome joke. I appreciate that. Is it actually cool? I heard it wasn't cool. Okay, awesome. Well, I feel, I feel eclipsed. People are wearing um, glasses that I thought were bad from the 90s again, so what do I know about cool? But social media, man, um, anxiety comes from the things that we consume, right? We get anxious about um, what other people are doing. We're like, ah, crap, I'm watching this on my phone instead of doing that. Like, maybe you saw people having fun in the Dominican Republic two weeks ago, and I might have been featured in some of those videos. And you consume that and think, crap, I should have been there. That would have been really great. Or you see um, somebody and you compare yourself um, to the way that they look. So we, we, we get anxiety from the, what we consume. And we get anxiety about the things we produce. I will tell you that the thing that makes me most anxious about being on social media is when I have the courage to post something, not on my like story, because the story is like, whatever. It doesn't really matter. You can't really know if people like you or not on that. Um, but what I get anxious about is posting, you know, like a real, whatever, a post, I just a post, is that what they call it? Where it's like on the regular, you know, feed, because you really don't want to screw that up, right? Like everyone knows, at least I think, that stories are kind of JV, but like when you post something, that's varsity, so it better not suck. And, um, and so I get anxious about, well, shoot, is this going to be something that people like? And then, of course, in the next 12 to 24 hours, I know exactly how many of you like it, of course. 
Anxiety, anxiety leads to unhappiness. Anxiety can lead to loneliness and ultimately depression. The more time, but this, so this is what research shows. So we spend more time on the screen, we're less happy. Social media, um, most likely, I want to say it absolutely leads to loneliness and unhappiness. And here's another thing that research shows. That the more time we spend with people, face-to-face, interacting with humans, the happier we are and the less lonely we are. Can you believe it? More time interacting with humans, the happier we are and the less lonely we are. This is what science shows. Today, college students, you all, I hate to say this, I'm pointing my finger. Today, college students, compared to my generation, spend more time in front of screens and phones, of course, because my T9 phone back in 2003 sucked. Like, I wouldn't have wanted to spend more than two minutes on it. Anyway, we spend more time on our screens and more times on our phones and less time face-to-face than any other generation in the history of, of uh, pulling these things. Data shows that you all spend one hour less a day in face-to-face interaction with my generation from 15 years ago in college. One hour a day. That might not seem like a lot, but add up one hour, seven hours in a week. That's half a day when you're not spending time with people that will make you happier and less lonely, instead doing other things, most likely on your screen. So what's my point? What's my point? What in the world does this have to do with love as an action that we initiate? Here's my point. We cannot love someone or be loved by someone through our phone. We cannot love or be loved by someone through our phone. We can use our phone to facilitate an opportunity to love somebody. Absolutely. I could text my, my neighbor Dustin and be like, yo, Dustin, um, what do you got next Friday night? We can hang out. And that will lead to an opportunity where I can love my neighbor. But if I believe that just texting with keys, phone, wallet, text group about things like, why did I have to start the stupid Mediterranean diet today? There is no transfer of genuine love <laughs> that's happening through this text message group. Oh man, it gets worse from there. We can't love somebody or be loved ourselves through our phone, which means we're all craving love from others through a medium that won't work. We are all simultaneously craving from one another something that we really want, which is to be loved. Who doesn't want to be loved by somebody really well? That's, what we, that's the way we're designed to be, which is why God tells us to do it. We want to be loved. We all crave this love. And we're simultaneously using um, a resource um, in hopes that it will provide this sort of love and connection that it cannot provide for us. The medium that transmits, tra- excuse me, transmits real love is face-to-face interaction. You wouldn't have to explain this to John because he didn't have, there was no phones in the first century. They all had to do face-to-face communication, but today this is our reality and our challenge. If we're genuinely going to initiate an active love for people in our world, in our community, and at the same time be healthy humans in a community ourselves where we too are being loved, we've got to get off our phones. Snapchatting about it is not the same as telling your, your roommate about it. 
texting a prayer request to a bunch of people that live a thousand miles away is not the same as calling up those people and asking them what's going on. Today I was um, walking into the building with uh, a cup of soup and I was mulling over these ideas in my mind. And I thought, man, what I normally do when I have lunch is I go up and I sit in front of my computer in my office and I look at something dumb on the internet that will not make my life any better. But instead I went into the kitchen and I found one of my coworkers and I asked him a question that I always wanted to know about his personal life. And 20 minutes later, I learned a lot of really awesome and difficult things about his life and now I can love this person a lot differently. I could not love somebody in front of a computer. Could not have texted that question to my coworker. But showing up and having a conversation, now that is a game changer. I have been um, thinking about um, uh, this uh, data, which I've been reading about um, in my um, uh, prep time for these sermons and just for life. And so the past two weekends, I, I really wanted to put it to, 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 to the test. Can you love somebody through your phone? Or what is, like, what is it like, actually, just to try and connect with and, and, and value face-to-face interaction above all other interaction with a group of people? So two weeks ago, I was, uh, had the opportunity to be in the Dominican Republic to officiate a wedding for two former interns. Now, I can't even believe this. I, I subscribe to T-Mobile. Anyone else a, a pink uh, a cell phone person? Yeah, okay, here's the deal. T-Mobile, yo, we got free data free texting in the Dominican Republic, right? So I could be like on my phone all freaking day because who actually makes phone calls anymore on their phone, right? So here I am in the Dominican thinking this is going to be perfect. I won't even have to worry about it because it's going to cost a lot of money, but it turns out it was free for me because I'm T-Mobile. Instead, I just put my phone in my lock, my locker in my room, and every day braved out of my room, not knowing quite where I was going or using a map to find things, and just interacted with people face-to-face as I ran into them. And let me tell you, it was actually three or four of the best days of my life um, uh, uh, just uh, in this working world. Um, Many memories come to mind, but probably my favorite. Um, And if I had my phone, I would have been pretty pretty tenuous about it because I wouldn't have wanted to take it with me, but um, Connor Contrell and I, Connor is an expert sailor, if you didn't know that, and um, he took me out on a Hobie Cat, and we sailed around on on the Caribbean Sea for an hour, which was really lovely. Anyway, but couldn't have done it with my phone. Great experience. Last weekend, one uh, full weekend, and, and this is, I, I share this as, uh, not as sort of bragging, but something I think you guys should consider. As you're thinking about the way that you're building relationships in college, because it is getting harder and harder to sit down in a room of people, in a room of peers, and hopefully your friends, and have face-to-face interaction in a way where, where people are not distracted Right? Where it's like, like halfway through you're having a conversation about your mom's diabetes and then somebody's phone buzzes and they need to read about the stupid Mediterranean diet that their friend started in Seattle. Right? Because that is a crappy way to have a conversation. Nobody enjoys that. Right? Man, how many times have you walked into a room and you looked around and most people are on their phone? It's like, hello, can we have a conversation? And so what do you do? You take out your phone too. I do that all the time. Okay, so anyway, same seven couples, same place, same weekend every year. And the beautiful thing about this cabin on the Washington coast, which is where we've been going since college, is it is so remote that we do not get cell phone reception. Although AT&T subscribers get about one bar on a sunny day if you're in the right corner of the cabin. 
But if you're T-Mobes like me, we're still cheap enough out there where it don't matter. You ain't getting no reception, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, but let me tell you how beautiful it is, how beautiful it is to be in a place together with a group of people, with our whole objective just to be interacting face-to-face with each other. Between the 14 adults in the, in the room, there are 13 children that we are responsible for. And yet, we're still able to be away from our phones, to interact with each other, learn about each other's lives, hear about what's going on, ask funny you know, questions that are funny and serious, whatever. And I will tell you that the end of the 48 hours of being with those people, I feel like a new human. I feel like I'm breathing pure oxygen, like straight out of the tank, like below sea level oxygen. It feels so freaking good. And do you know why? Because loving one another is so awesome. It is so awesome. And we cannot do it with our phones. Friends, could you imagine if the Annex was a community that actually was, we were conscious about the way we used our phones as we interacted with each other. Whether it was core groups on Tuesday night, when we're here, or excuse me, on Thursday night. Here on Tuesday night, we just put our phone in our pocket and we didn't worry about it until we got home. Or we decided, um, unlike many people, we're just going to be courageous enough to go away on something like the men's and women's weekend so we can interact with a group of people, even though that means we're going to be away from um, our, our technology in places that it probably won't work. Like, I think the men's cabin is real remote and T-Mobile will assuredly not work out there. I will tell you that spring break, some people have asked me, why in the world do you take students away to California to surf over spring break? You should be doing like a mission trip to like Haiti or something. And the reason we go on a trip to California, I want you to want to go on that trip because it's going to be a lot of fun. But more than anything, I hope that that week that we spend together by the ocean making memories is something that is a place and an opportunity where you can put down your phone, you can be present where you are, and you can be refreshed by loving each other in face-to-face interactions. That's the whole point of those trips. So, in conclusion, what would it be like if the annex, and people aren't going to know it right off the top, but if it was a place where instead of assuming that we were going to be able to love each other through our phones and instead drifting towards unhappiness and loneliness, we're a community, we, we, we put our phones away and we showed up into each other's lives. We had coffee instead of texting. We committed weekends to being together. We silenced our phones when we were with each other so we could love one another the way that John and Jesus wanted us to love. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we think about um, something that's so simple and basic in our life now. We consider um, what's truly going on in the the relationship and the way that we use our phone. And Lord, we ask that you would um, give us wisdom and conviction about the healthy way that we can use our phones to love other people. That it would compel us and that you would move us to um, uh, interact with each other face-to-face in a way where we can really transmit and share a real love with each other rather than drifting away in unhappiness and loneliness because we feel more unconnected the more we are connected through our phones, Lord. It sounds silly to be praying about these things, but um, even from my own experience, Lord, I have experienced um, quite a bit of disconnect and loneliness. The more that I, t- I spend time to my phone as I, I, I seek to relieve anxiety, but instead I find more of it. 
Help us to have the courage to, to show up for other people and to show up for ourselves. And Lord, with the, um, just the goodness and really, um, it's not the right word, it's the best word I got, but the, the magic of just being loved and loving each other, um, knowing that we're loved by you coming into that, initiating that, can we just enjoy the fruit of community and relationships that you designed for us and for our goodness and for our flourishing? Help us out, Lord, wherever we're at, to take the step towards that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you back here next week.